0: I'm going to read your scripture for us this morning. It's from Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, and then Daniel chapter 6, verse 19 through 23. The words will be on the screen behind me if you would stand in honor of God's word. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. This has been the reading of God's Word. You may be seated.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you again as we Study God's Word, and we continue in our worship of Him this morning. My name is David Duran. As Lonnie mentioned, um, my wife and my family. Uh, we are planting a church in Massachusetts, and my title here is Church Planting Resident. And we are one week closer uh, this week to planting that church in Plymouth than we were last week. So praise God for that. But we uh, we continue to desire your prayers and your support. So please uh, be praying for the Duran family as often as we come to mind. Uh, if you're watching the service online this morning, um, we're so glad that you're, you're tuning in with us. It's been a blessing that technology has allowed us to stay connected. Um, but just know that we really miss worshiping with you. So as restrictions are lift and more people are vaccinated, we hope that you will bless us with your presence here at the YMCA. Well, why, well, we're gonna pray together in just a second. I know we've been doing a lot, a lot of praying in this service today, but we're gonna pray again in just a minute. But I want to remind you of what that time is for. I've said it before previously, but I, I wanna say it again. Remember, this time of prayer that we're gonna have together as a body is not just me praying and you all listening. This time is meant to be a time of collective prayer. I may be the only one speaking, but I hope that I'm not the only one praying. These couple of minutes are are meant to be a time where all of us, with one heartbeat, we cry out to the Lord. So I'm gonna lead us, but let's all go to the Lord together now in prayer. Father, we give thanks to you with our whole hearts. We give thanks because you have called us by name. You looked into our chaotic and and darkened souls and said, let there be light. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have accomplished your plan for salvation. Through the Holy Spirit, you apply to us what was accomplished by Christ. Our salvation is in Christ alone and our our salvation is by the Spirit alone. God, thank you that we don't have to earn our favor or our standing with you. God, thank you that Christianity is not about us trying to reach the top of some, some spiritual mountain. It's not about us making ourselves good enough for you. Instead, it's about you reaching down for us. It's about you extending your merciful hand to us. I thank you for the great love that you've shown us. Father, this morning my heart, and even watching the the missions video, my heart is is burdened for the children and for the youth that are growing up in the church. God, it feels like there is a never-ending battle for the hearts of our children. And it feels that way because that is the reality. God, we pray that you would make yourself real to the children and the youth in our church. As they're learning all about you, we pray that they would come to truly know you. May their hearts know that you are Lord as strongly as their minds know this. God, we thank you for the, the young people who are going to be baptized next week, and we pray that there will be many more after them. God, we ask that the youth in our church develop habits and godly disciplines that will sustain them for a lifetime give them an unquenchable hunger for you we pray that when our youth hear your name being dishonored when they hear people trying to discredit you or when they hear of people uh, deconstructing their faith we pray that our students that our youth would have an unshakable confidence in the god of the bible Make their hearts firm in their their desire for you, always trusting in you. God, help us as a, a church family to equip our young people to deal with the attacks that will come against them because of their faith. Let us impart to them the secret wisdom of God. Father, now as we look at a passage of Scripture that will be familiar to many of us, we pray that you would... Help us to see this with fresh eyes. God, show us a perspective that we haven't seen before. Apply this story to our hearts in a way that hasn't been done before. God, make us a people who are devoted to you, who are devoted to your church, who are devoted to the mission that you've given us to make disciples. God, I pray for your help as as I preach today. Help me to communicate in a way that's clear. God, I pray that you would uplift those who need to be uplifted, bring conviction where conviction is needed, and may we all leave here today with a greater love for you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by seeing if you all can help me with a hunch that I have, and this is a little bit risky on my end. Because I'm going to ask for a little verbal participation from you all. And uh, I know that historically, Doxa Church has not been the most vocal group. But I need I need you all to, to help me here. So really quick, we're going to do a little word association. So I'm going to say a word or a phrase. And I just want you guys to help me finish the sentence. Um, I'm not... I'm not trying to trick anyone. There's no trick questions here. I just want to see if my suspicion is correct. And, uh, and we'll go from there. So just, just finish the phrase for me. I'll even give you a hint for the first two. They have to do with food. Okay? So there's your hint macaroni and cheese. Good. That's good. How about this one? Peanut butter and. Chocolate. Okay. What if it's raining really hard outside? Someone might say, it's raining, cats and? You guys are doing way better than I expected. All right, pay attention to this last one here because this is the one that I actually care about. The other ones were just to kind of get you warmed up, but uh, just the first thing that comes to mind, let's do this, Daniel and the? I I know we had a little bit of a hint when we had the scripture reading done, but okay. My assumption was that most people in this room would have some level of familiarity with this story. The number may not be as high as it was in years past, but many people, even if they don't have a church background at all, have at least heard this story mentioned before. I was raised in a home where the Bible was read frequently. And I still remember uh, being a, a kid and having my parents read to me stories from the Bible. And from a young age, God used his word to capture my heart. As I started reading and studying Daniel 6 this week in preparation to preach, I was just amazed at how much there is for us to learn from this story. There's so much here. There's so much depth to what's happening in Daniel 6. Now you may may not have been able to guess this about me, but I really love artwork. I really love good paintings, especially watercolor, and partly because I know how difficult it is to paint in this style. I can't tell you a bunch of names of, of artists or famous pieces of art, but I can stare at a good piece of artwork for a long time, just admiring the skill and the detail that goes into portraying an image onto a canvas. Well, the reason I share that because in, in some ways as I read the story of Daniel and the lion's den over and over this past week and I, I looked for patterns in this story and, and looked for patterns, how it relates to the book of Daniel. It kind of reminded me of admiring a beautiful painting. I think there's a lot that we miss in anticipation of what's gonna happen at the end of Daniel chapter six. So my hope is that even if you're like me and you know this story inside and out, maybe you even read this story to your kids before they went to bed last night. But I hope that the Holy Spirit, I've been praying this, that the Holy Spirit is going to show you new things as we look at this passage today. So, really quickly, let me set the context for us. You might remember from last week in Daniel chapter 5, we saw the fall of the Babylonian kingdom and King Belshazzar. We saw his, his end in Daniel chapter 5. And now, Daniel and the exiles from Judah are under the rule of the Medo Persian Empire. And at this, at this moment, the kingdom is ruled by one Darius the Mede. So if you've been keeping track, this is now the third ruler that Daniel has served under. And Daniel, he's been elevated to a place of, of importance, a place of power and, and significance. He's got a lot of influence here. Verse 1 in chapter 6 says that Daniel was one of the three officials that oversaw 120 governors of the kingdom. So Daniel, he's certainly at a place of political power. When the Persians came in and they they killed Belshazzar and they took over the kingdom, Daniel, obviously, he was spared. And this is ultimately due to God's protection over Daniel. But remember, Daniel also the supernatural ability to interpret dreams and strange writings that are on the wall. Daniel has proven to to be a pretty valuable guy to have around, and King Darius, he recognizes this. I also want to point out to you that by now, Daniel is around 80 years old, give or take. I think that's a significant point, a significant factor that's often overlooked in this story. So by this point, Daniel has been faithfully serving the lord for many years Well, What I want to do this morning is I want to look at this story really under three different headings within Daniel chapter 6 within the story of Daniel in the lion's den I think that we see three key themes that I would like us to spend some time looking at and working through together I'm going to mention them to you here and then we're going to look each at, We're going to look at each of them in a little bit more detail so first we're going to see the persecution of Daniel. Next, we will see the devotion of Daniel. And finally, we're going to see the preservation of Daniel. So if you're taking notes this morning, those are sort of the three big headings that we're going to work through. So let's begin by looking at the persecution of Daniel. I've already, I've already mentioned it, but let me reiterate it. Daniel is in a very important place when it comes to political power and influence. The kingdom that Daniel is, is helping to oversee stretches all the way from modern-day Libya and Egypt all the way to India. And Daniel is one of three governors that is getting set to be promoted. Verse three in chapter six tells us that Daniel became distinguished above the other high officials because he had an excellent spirit in him. In fact, we read in the story that the king is getting ready to set Daniel over the entire kingdom. Daniel was a man who proved that he could be trusted. Kings don't just give this kind of responsibility to anyone. In the short amount of time, that Daniel was acquainted, or that Darius was acquainted with Daniel, he could already tell that he was a man of integrity. Even though Daniel was living in a culture that had little regard for the one true God, Daniel had learned to live faithfully as an exile. Here's a key point that we're going to get into in greater detail in a moment, but Daniel's integrity and his ability not to compromise and to re- remain true to his convictions, it stemmed from his close relationship with God. Time and time again, Daniel continues to display that his trust, his security, his peace is from the Lord. Well, it may appear so far that things are going pretty well for Daniel, at least as well as can be expected for someone who is exiled from his homeland. But secretly, the high officials, the governors, the other leaders, they're starting to conspire against Daniel. And the reason for this is they're jealous of Daniel. They don't want this Hebrew exile to be promoted to a place of power. So they come together and they try to figure out how can we take this guy down? Like, where's the dirt on this guy so we can make sure he doesn't get the promotion that Darius is getting ready to give him? But Daniel is free from corruption. There is absolutely no dirt that they can dig up on Daniel. Verse 4 says, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Wouldn't you like for that to be the report on you if someone tried to dig some dirt up? It's like these guys are, they're checking in with their boss saying, yeah, we've followed him around everywhere that he goes. We've talked to everybody who knows him. We've checked his, his internet and and social media history. There's no questionable searches, no questionable posts. This guy is blameless. They figure the only way that they're gonna get Daniel to, to trip up is if they can find something there in connection with the law of God. So that's exactly what they decide to do. They go to King Darius and they begin by telling him a lie. I don't know if you, well, you wouldn't catch it because we didn't read it, so let me show it to you. They tell Darius a lie. Look at verse seven. The high officials and the governors, they say, all the high officials of the kingdom, The prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. We know right from the beginning that this statement is not true. Not all the high officials and everyone else are in agreement with this because Daniel is not in agreement with this. So appealing to the pride of Darius, these officials, essentially, they are trying to have Daniel killed. And what is Daniel's offense? Why are these leaders trying to have Daniel killed? They're certainly jealous of him, there's no doubt about that. But I think all of this ultimately has to do, it revolves around the devotion that Daniel has for the Lord. The conflict that we see here in Daniel 6 and the conflict in Daniel's life is part of a greater battle that's taking place. In Daniel 6, we see nothing less than a battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Friends, throughout history, Satan has been relentless in his attempt to wear out God's people. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This story at the beginning, it may seem like nothing more than some jealous people trying to get rid of a guy who's more successful than them, but there is something profoundly spiritual taking place here. This is kind of, uh, 2 Timothy 3.12 is kind of being lived out here in the Old Testament, that, that verse, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We may not have the same experience of Christians that I know who have been shot at, they've been beat up, they've had their homes burned down, but in some sense, we should all expect to be treated like Daniel is here. We should expect to be treated as social outcasts because we love and serve God above everything else. You might be here today and you have people at work or at school who make fun of you because you're not interested in sleeping around. You may have family members who think that you are a complete fool because you make it a priority to come and worship the Lord on Sunday. You may be denied a promotion at work because you refuse to compromise in what you know is right. I can't tell you the level of suffering, the level of persecution that you might face in your life, but I promise you, if you walk with God long enough, you will face persecution in some form. Philippians one twenty nine says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The persecution that Daniel is facing here, it may seem like an extreme to us, being fed to a a den of lions, but this has been the normal experience for Christians for much of history. Well, King Darius, he goes ahead and he signs the document that's been presented to him. So now for the next 30 days, anyone who makes a petition or a prayer to any god or man except Darius will be thrown to the lions. Now Daniel, he has a pretty big decision to make now. And let's not make light of of this decision. Let's not make light of what Daniel's facing. For all he knows, if Daniel continues to worship the Lord, if he continues to worship God, he's going to be fed to a bunch of hungry lions. Daniel is facing a horrific and painful death. Remember too that this injunction that essentially prevents Daniel from praying it's only for 30 days. This is not a lifetime ban on prayer, a lifetime ban on devotion to God. Surely it makes sense to just stop praying for the next 30 days and let all of this blow over. Additionally, I think this is an important point. Daniel would have known from his study of the prophet Jeremiah that the 70 years of exile are almost over. Soon he would be free to go back to his homeland. Wouldn't it make sense to just sort of lay low for a little bit and let all of this pass? But listen again to what Daniel does when he knows the document has been signed that would send him to the lion's den. This is in verse 10. It says, when Daniel knew that the document has been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in the upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Friends, Daniel's devotion to the Lord, it cannot be shaken. He would rather lose his life than change his habits surrounding the worship of God. He would rather be shred apart by lions than miss his time in prayer. Let me pose a question for us this morning. If you were not allowed to pray for the next 30 days, would it make any real difference in your life? Daniel went to his house and he prayed knowing that he would face death. We don't have the exact words that Daniel prayed. We might get a little hint of it in Daniel chapter nine. But I do have a couple of things I want to point out to you about the devotional habits of Daniel. First, notice that Daniel prayed with his windows and his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. Why? Why would he do this? This wasn't a requirement anywhere in Old Testament law. What's the significance here if there's any significance at all? I think that as Daniel, we can imagine this, is on his knees He's facing Jerusalem. He's he's calling out to God. I think as he's doing this, he's remembering all of God's promises and he's longing for God's presence. Daniel knew that one day, one day his people would be going home. He knew that one day they would again worship in the holy city. And each of these things, they stirred Daniel to pray. I think if many of us were honest, we would have to say that 30 days without prayer, it really wouldn't make much of a difference in our lives. Really wouldn't change anything. How about our churches as a whole in America? There's a member of our church, he grew up in another country. He told me that he grew up going to all night prayer meetings every Thursday night. They didn't just pray for an hour. Or two or three, they prayed all night crying out to God. And they saw God do miraculous things. Particularly here in the West, many of our churches we've relied on slick marketing, cool programming, dynamic speakers to, to build the church. While well, these things, they aren't necessarily bad in themselves. The, pro- the problem is that we have failed to be a people whose first reaction, whose first impulse to seek God in prayer. John Calvin said that prayer constitutes the chief part of our adoration and worship of God. I think that many times the reason for our prayerlessness is a failure to actually understand the depth of our helplessness. I'm gonna say that again. Many times the reason for our prayerlessness is a failure to actually understand the depth of our helplessness. We don't, we don't realize how, how dependent we are on God for anything significant to happen. We are totally dependent on Him. You know, for over a year, we are meeting here at the YMCA for worship, and to my knowledge, and if I'm mistaken here, I, I apologize for this, but to my knowledge, we never had anyone join us for worship from the Del Webb neighborhood here. As a church, we have a desire that there would be a gospel foothold in the neighborhoods that surround the YMCA here. We've tried some signs. We've tried some, some marketing things. But we really, as far as I could tell, we really haven't been successful in engaging with anyone from the surrounding neighborhoods uh, for the glory of God. Well, in recent weeks, we've had some people coming to worship from the Del Webb neighborhood. We've seen a little bit of of movement, maybe even some potential for us to start a community group here. That's something that we should all be praying for. But you know what what changed in the last couple of months? We actually started praying for the people who live in Del Webb. Our community groups have been praying. People have been doing prayer walks. We've been praying on Sunday morning for the community that surrounds the Y. And God, he's starting to move. There's so much more that we want to see the Lord do in the neighborhoods around here. We've got a long way to go. Let me be clear. We've got a long way to go. But we have been, I've been overjoyed to see what the Lord is doing. The Lord is beginning to do something. The Lord has moved as we've relied less on ourselves and more on him. I also want you to notice in the last part of verse 10, It says, it's talking about Daniel, of course. It says, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel had a regular pattern and discipline of prayer. He wasn't the kind of guy who just prayed whenever he got into a jam. Whenever he got in trouble, the first thing he does is run to the Lord in prayer. He had a a discipline and a pattern of seeking the Lord in prayer. And really, if we think about it, In a lot of ways, Daniel's whole life revolved around prayer. Three times a day, he's praying and seeking the Lord. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus was with his disciples, they're asking him all kinds of questions and different things. You read through the Gospels, you see that. But one of the things that Luke records for us in his Gospel is a specific request from one of the disciples. I think he was representing all of them. But he asked to learn how to pray. He doesn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to to debate with the Pharisees. He says, Lord, teach us to pray. There's so much for us to learn about prayer right here in verse 10. We don't know exactly what Daniel's saying, but he is consistently seeking God in prayer. He's consistently worshiping God in prayer. Now, I imagine that some of you are listening and you're thinking, okay, David, I I get it. I understand that I need to be a person of prayer. I I want to be a person who prays, but I, I just don't really know how. Let me just give you just a couple of things to think about. First, don't just pray when you feel like it. Establish patterns of prayer in your life that you refuse to miss. You wouldn't miss an important work appointment You wouldn't miss a a lunch with a really good friend. Don't miss the time that you have set apart for prayer. Start with just a couple of minutes. Don't try to run a prayer marathon when you haven't yet run a mile. Maybe you want to spend some time in prayer right when you wake up. Maybe on your lunch break you can take a walk and, and pray as you do that. Set some patterns in your life and stick with them. It's almost like lifting weights. At the beginning, you may not be able to lift very much, but as you continue, God will build up that discipline and that habit of prayer. Another thing that is helpful, I think, is to ask other people to pray with you. My personal prayer life has grown tremendously over this past year, and I think part of the reason for that, God is doing that work in me, but I think part of the reason for that is I've been meeting with small groups of people to pray. This has been life-giving for me. I've heard other, as I've heard other brothers and sisters praying, my heart has been drawn to have a greater devotion to prayer. Establish patterns of prayer in your life. And as you do this, invite others into those patterns. Think about even using the Bible as your prayer book. Pray through different passages of scripture. Maybe you want to take one of the Psalms. Or you want to take one of the the prayers of Paul and make those prayers your own. Sometimes our our hearts can be stirred by reading the prayers of others from the past. Books like the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers. or, Or the Book of Common Prayer. There's a bunch of others. Those things can help stir our hearts to pray. Church, we cannot afford to be a people who neglect to pray. Prayerlessness Prayerlessness is a sign of spiritual deadness. A church that fails to pray is a spiritually dead church. And a Christian that fails to pray is a spiritually dead Christian. In our story, Daniel is going to the Lord in prayer, and he's knowing that he's going to face death because of it. Yet his persistence in this is unwavering. There's also, I think this is interesting, there's no indication here that Daniel felt anxious or worried about his fate. King Darius, if you read the whole thing through, you'll see King Darius was worried as to what would happen to Daniel when he figured out that he was gonna have to throw him to the lions, but Daniel, he found peace. Friends, experiencing the presence of God in our prayer, in our worship of him, it brings a level of peace that is incomprehensible to the world. Daniel had peace in his heart in and through his experience in the lion's sin, because he knew God, and he knew how to pray. Finally, I would like for us this morning to think about the preservation of Daniel. Remember, there's no indication here that Daniel had any idea that he would be saved from these lions. As the king commands Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den, it probably appeared to Daniel that his prayer had not been answered. He must have fallen into the lion's den, this 80-year-old man or so, thinking he's about to be torn apart. But God intervened here. Then Daniel said to the king, this is after a night in the lion's den, O king, live forever. My God, sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Brothers and sisters, God grows us through our trials and through our difficulties. Great tests of our our character and of our trust in the Lord, they don't always come at the very beginning of our lives. They don't always come at the beginning of our, our walk with the Lord. Sometimes they're at the end. Daniel had lived a lifetime by the time he was thrown to the lions. He had years and years of seeing the faithful hand of God on his life. Remember back in the first chapter of Daniel. It was God that gave Daniel the the favorable reputation. It was God that gave him the, the knowledge and the insight to interpret dreams. Daniel knew here, I believe, that one way or the other, whether he was eaten by the lions, whether he was saved by the hand of God, he would persevere to the end. He would be okay. He knew ultimately, in one way or the other, he was going to be delivered. And we can have that same level of confidence. No matter what happens to us, no matter what trials we go through, no matter what circumstances we face, we can trust that God will deliver us. He will see us through to the end. Friends, the life of Daniel and the story of Daniel in the lion's den, so valuable for us. Go back, read it again. Read it over and over again. Just soak in this story. There's so much gold for us to mine here. But perhaps the most significant thing for us to see today as Christians is how Daniel's deliverance from the lion's den is a foretaste of our future deliverance. When Daniel emerged from the lion's den, after his his night there, he emerged just with his life. He emerged with the life of one man. Well, there's someone else who was put in a tomb. His name is Jesus Christ. And when he emerged from the tomb, he brought victory and redemption for everyone who trusts in him, for everyone who trusts in him as Lord. Like Daniel, Jesus had people who were jealous of him. He had people who made false accusations against him. He had people who wanted him dead. Also like Daniel, Jesus sought God in prayer before his imminent execution. Jesus prayed, my father, if it is possible, Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In Jesus' case, it was the will of the Father to crush him on the cross. The penalty for sin is death. And Jesus took the weight of sin for his people when he shed his blood on the cross. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, victorious over sin and conquering over death. The good news of the gospel is that through faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven of our sin. We can be restored into a right relationship with God. See, our sin, the wrong things that we've done, they have separated us from a holy God. God, he cannot associate with sin. But because of his great love for us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here today, and you've never experienced the love of God. You've never experienced the mercy of Christ. You've never experienced the comfort and the peace that come from the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would talk to someone before you leave here today. I would love to talk with you. You may not know who our, the members of our church are, but I promise you one of our members would love to talk with you. Don't leave here today without talking to me or someone else asking how you can receive Jesus as your savior and Lord. The reality is that those who accused Daniel, those who wanted to have him killed to be thrown into the den of lions, those people faced judgment. The judgment that each of those individuals faced is really the exact same kind of judgment that we deserve. We deserve the lion's den. We deserve the cross. But because of God's great love for us, we don't have to face the judgment. Christ bore the sin. He bore the shame. He bore the judgment for all who come to trust in him for all who come to trust him as Lord. And I would love nothing more than to talk with someone here about what it means to trust in Christ. For those of you who are here and you're already followers of Jesus, we have the privilege this morning of taking communion together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink all of this, for this is my blood of the new covenant, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you shall drink it in remembrance of me. There are so many important things that are happening when we take this communion meal together. We're remembering all that Christ has done for us. We're remembering that he is coming back for us. We're renewing our commitment and our devotion to him. We're receiving spiritual nourishment through the presence of Christ in this meal. Friends, what a joy it is for us to take communion every Sunday together. If you're here today and you are a professing follower of Jesus Christ, you are welcome to come and partake of communion today. Even if Doxa is not your home church, we invite you to enjoy this meal with us. If you are not yet a Christian, I just want to invite you to spend these next couple of minutes just thinking over things that you've heard today, thinking over what it might mean for you to know and trust Christ as your Lord. Well, communion is gonna be served at four stations throughout our sanctuary here. And as you feel led, I invite you to stand up, make your way forward or backward and receive communion. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna continue in our worship of the Lord together. Father, my prayer the end today is that you would help us to see how helpless we are, how broken we are, how sinful we are, how desperate we are for you in all things in our life, Lord. For our salvation, certainly, for anything good to happen in our lives, for anything uh, significant to happen for your kingdom, we need you to move. God, we all acknowledge that we cannot do it on our own. We do not have the strength to do this on our own. We need you. God, I pray that you would make us a people of prayer. You would make us a people who are devoted to you, who persevere, who endure persecution, all the while keeping our eyes on Jesus. Father, be with us this week as we live this out.